tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tonight, only on Disney+. Plus. Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bukaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, linguist David Peterson joins me for some skin art discussion. A few listeners email in uh, asking David's assistance for tattooing Dothraki, High Valyrian, and a couple giant language, North of the Wall giant language tattoos. David actually did the work to invent new characters, new actual letters of High Valyrian to make this work. So uh, I was very appreciative of this conversation. This podcast might require visual aid. So uh, in the show notes, I'm going to link a PDF of David's translations. And if you've never seen what High Valyrian actually looks like, the script of High Valyrian looks like, you might uh, benefit from that. So that PDF will be in the show notes. Before we get to that, I include an excerpt of something new that I'm trying out called Rushmore Reboot. This is a roundtable discussion on one of the most beloved Game of Thrones episodes, Hard Home. So I include a roundtable about that episode. If you'd like to hear that conversation in full, that is over on the Double Dragon feed. And I'll just say that this is an experiment, uh, depending on how many people we get to subscribe over at Double Dragon, we'll determine how often we'll do a Rushmore reboot episode. So, before my interview with David Peterson, here's just a taste of Rushmore reboot. You can interrupt us at any time to self-promote. To just be like, hey, guess what? (laughs) Hey, that's a really interesting thought there, Steve. But here's where you can find me next. But have you seen Yellow Jackets? (laughs) Um, All right. So this is the first episode ever of Rushmore Reboot. We cover Game of Thrones faces to laces. And uh, Steve Osborne, you are a comedian in the Bay Area. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm happy to have you here, and yet you are not my honored guest. That's that's usually how we start every conversation. So thanks for keeping it consistent, <laughs> Danielle Lisi. Uh, you are the only expert among us. You have uh, great insight into the medieval world and literature and history, and I'm excited to have you. But unfortunately, today. Danielle, you are not my honored guest. Fair enough. <laughs> um, this is just whole. This whole podcast is just to nag us. Uh, my name is Anthony Ladon, and I do a podcast on Game of Thrones, and I've written several books. And yet, I am not the honored guest today. Uh, our honored guest is Jason Kabasi of the Podcastica Empire. 
who is famously uh, working on podcasts related to Yellow Jackets and all of your other favorite television. Welcome, Jason Kabasi. Hi, thanks for having me. I feel honored and slightly embarrassed, <laughs> but it's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> so the premise of this podcast is that we bring on a, an honored guest. Jason's our honored guest today, and he has previously told me what his four favorite Game of Thrones episodes are, and then we choose one of them to cover. So let's just start there, Jason. What are the episodes on your Mount Rushmore? Oh, man, I can't even remember which were the other ones. Uh, the, the what was it, The Light of the Seven? Is that the one with the really good um, Raman Djawadi musical intro where Tommen jumps out the window oh yeah and then the the whole thing blows up with wildfire right that's season I seven i think right that yeah the yeah i think it was the um premiere it was that was beautiful uh the door was one of them famously season six hold the door yeah. right yeah um the battle of the bastards i think was in there yeah yeah yeah, and then the one we're talking about today is, of course, Hard Home. So tell me why Hard Home is on your Rushmore, Jason. I mean, it's not too complicated. I like zombies. <laughs> um, <laughs> it In the series premiere of Game of Thrones, sat down to watch it, had some friends who'd read the books, but I hadn't. And um, I was into the story and the intrigue and everything, but it was really the the opening scene with the night watchman killed by this white walker mm -hmm. and then you see the wildling girl reanimated that hooked me in and if not for that i probably would have followed it but i'm not 100 sure if i would have followed the show as closely but that really hooked me in and then i kind of love that they use the whites and the white walkers sparingly in the series after that i don't even think we saw them again in season one and every time we did see them it had a huge impact because they were used so sparingly they were just talked about a lot as this big threat and so to me, all of that, you know, we saw Sam, uh, a big horde of them march by Sam, and then he killed one in season three. But it was just always, if there were fights, it was just one of them, one or two. So all of that was kind of foreplay. And then Hard Home was like the climax, basically. And it was like, oh, my God, we we're finally getting some big action. And I, I just loved it. And my history of podcasting starts with The Walking Dead. We started covering that show back in 2010 and we did all 11 seasons and so we had our fill of zombies but the zombies on that show if you've seen it are slow and lumbering and amc is pretty stingy with their budgets so this scene you know it was just incredibly cool backed by hbo money directed by miguel sapochnik who's a genius and i think this might be one of the first indications maybe there was another big battle episode before this but it was just incredible to watch well i'm glad that you mentioned sabachik i feel like this was probably the episode that launched him yeah this was the first yeah really big one i think here are the highlights coming up this week on bald move all new Pulp and Prestige this week. On Tuesday, we'll cover the latest episode of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live on Pulp. And on Thursday, we'll catch up with the latest Samurai subterfuge on FX Hulu's Shogun. Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. And then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Bookaloo as they continue their discussion of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. 
find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sonata from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. So, Jason, uh, to honor one of your favorite episodes, we have some other guests uh, with us. And, Danielle, I thought we'd start maybe with either a one of your observations or questions. W- what did you take away from Hard Home? Well, I love this episode. It would definitely be in my top four probably as well. So I was super excited to come in to talk about it. I think it was just, you know, near flawless. A um, couple things that weren't perfect for me, but we'll, I'm sure we'll get into those today. Uh, but I think it's just such a, such a good episode. Um, I would say, um, I'll start with a very general observation since I'm going first, uh, here, which is, uh, I don't know how many of you here have, are also book readers for the series. I've read the books, but to me, what stands out the most is just how different hard home Mm is because we don't actually see hard home take place in the books you hear about it as this kind of like specter the people come back are deeply traumatized they don't want to talk about what happened there and so i would say my kind of observation is um it's it was a really cool choice on the part of the show to actually use hard home to show us of the stakes, and I think it really serves as a turning point in the um, the you know, the White Walker conflict. Absolutely, and here's a great example of Weiss and Benioff making a decision to go out off script, you know, away from book content, and create one of the most beloved episodes. Almost universally. I've never heard anyone that does not like this episode. So, yeah, not in the books, and yet one of the most beloved episodes. And yet, I mean, it's referenced. It's not totally made up. It's just they they let John go so that we could see it. And I think that that was really well done because it's faithful to the story, but it gives us the 
the uh, ability to see what happened there instead of just kind of mm. these in-text references to oh hard home mm. it wasn't good and it shows us how and i think it made that really impactful yeah i like that the framing of that as a way for us to kind of experience the stakes because not only do we see that kind of the damage that these whites and white walkers can inflict but just the fact that john went there hoping to get more people on board to help him fight them and ended up watching them decimate all the people that he wanted to get and then turn them into their own army mm. uh was pretty chilling and we all know if you're a fan of zombies at all that that's what would happen but to see it and experience it is a whole different thing well especially because john snow has never seen a zombie movie so this is all new <laughs> yeah that's right he's, he's seen one of jason's great loves for the very first time <laughs> maybe he saw zombie play we don't know for sure but probably not yeah zombie puppets um well the other thing that is not in the books that i thought also raised the stakes danielle is that you've got that conversation between sam and ollie which mm. sort of yes. foreshadows john's eventual death and basically yeah. ollie is saying if you'd like to hear that conversation in full, that is over on the Double Dragon feed. And now my conversation with linguist David J. Peterson. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, d do you even know what it's like out there? No, not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne into cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left him to be raised by Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. David, are you a, uh, a tattoo guy? Do you have any tattoos? None, actually. I'm a part of the large, uh, I would think, majority of people that have zero tattoos. <laughs> the next biggest group is the group of people that have two or more tattoos. The smallest percentage of people on earth by a wide margin are those that have exactly one tattoo. Is this science or are you, are you making this up? <laughs> it's, uh, it's science. It's observable fact. It's, um, <laughs> it's also a religion. Uh, it's just, it, it's really impossible once you get the first tattoo, really, I mean, uh, even of those people that have one uh -huh. tattoo, there are they can be divided into those that have one tattoo forever 
and those who have one tattoo for the moment. Uh, and of those groups, the <laughs> latter group is, again, much, much larger than the former. Okay. This is interesting. And I wonder if it's one of these things where it's like there's that initial trepidation. Mm -hmm. Maybe people would like the experience, but they've never been in a particular tattoo parlor before. But then once you get it, it's like, oh, that, was, that wasn't as bad as I thought. I could do that again. Mm -hmm. Floodgates open. Now, I'm like you. I do not have a single tattoo. And uh, my daughter is uh, thinking about doing a tattoo apprenticeship. And I've, uh, I've volunteered my left shoulder for her to try things out. Ooh. <laughs> so, so it could be that I have... A number of uh, very interesting uh, attempts on my left shoulder. Yeah, and you know, you know that it's going to change you oh. the moment that you have the first one. I'll get addicted. I'm going to continue to need more and more. Yeah, but as long as they're free, I, I kind of don't mind. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, if they're free, like you could just get things like, oh shoot, I need to remember to run to the post office today. Can you just jot uh -huh. down a tattoo and uh -huh. pop on my hand there? Now, and then, you know, later when you go, you can strike, strike a line through it, you know. Now, hmm. have you ever... Hang on. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Hang on. I've got, I've got a good idea. I want you to hold on to what you're about to say because I know it's going to be good. Mm -hmm. But I have an idea. Uh, you tattoo a blank checklist to the palm of your hand. So just like, you know, uh, like maybe four or five, however many you can fit blank <laughs> boxes and then a blank line next to each of those boxes. And then with ink, you know, you can adjust as needed throughout the course of the day. A to-do list? Yeah. A blank grid for a to-do list, and it can change periodically. I mean, I don't know, I don't use a to-do list every day, so I think yeah, that would work for me. You would if me. you had a tattoo. You find <laughs> reasons to use it. That's pretty good. Well, why don't we talk about why we're talking about them? So I got an email a couple months ago from Wanda. And Wanda wrote, Hello, Dr. Peterson. My husband and I would like to get complimentary skin art. His will read Mood of My Life. Mine will read My Sun and Stars. His will include a small crescent moon with a ghostly rider on the clouds. Mine will include a sun circled by stars. Of course, we would love to get the Dothraki correct. Can you help us? So uh, that prompted me to think, well, I could absolutely email David uh, or I could solicit more emails of this kind to see if anyone else would like uh, to get your instruction. I sent up the bat signal and I got a few others. And now we have you to answer these questions. We want to make sure that we get the Dothraki correct. So let's go with the first one, um, Moon of My Life in Dothraki. And I, I will be writing this down so I can email her back. Oh, don't don't bother with that. What I've got um I've got a page here where I've written stuff up. Oh good. Okay. And I'm gonna go ahead and email that to you Perfect. so we don't have to worry about that. Okay. Um but uh, this of course is a very famous phrase and was and was used in the show. So this um, is famously what 
Khal Drogo would call Daenerys, right? He would say moon and by life, and she would respond, my sun and stars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, because in Dothraki lore, uh, the moon is the is a woman and is the wife of the sun. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll, I'll add a little caveat here. First moon in my life, Jalan Atirari Anni, is how you say that. Jalan Atirari Anni. Um, and that's just the phrase. If you were to call somebody that if you were to say it directly to somebody you use je in front of it which is a vocative particle so je jadan atirari anni would be like if you were to call out to the moon of your life mm. but presumably for this you know you just leave that off and so i did um, yeah probably the first yeah all right so that's that is moon of my life what a man says to a woman and what a woman says to a man is my sun and stars and that's Sheikh Mashiraki Anni. Sheikh Mashiraki Anni. And so that's Sheikh is sun, Ma is and, Shiraki is stars, and the plural, and then Anni is mine. Same as with uh, Moon in My Life. So now here's a question. Um, mm. with Because this is going to be skin art, you have to kind of choose a font right and feeling is that you didn't also invent the script yeah so um dothraki is supposed to be um this is actually in the books the dothraki don't have a writing system so not only have i not created one i wouldn't um and certainly wouldn't sanction anybody else creating one either it doesn't make any sense um if you're thinking about a font for dothraki my personal favorite is trajan pro if you if you can find that font, I think it looks great with Dothraki, uh, just you know an English language font or a Roman font. I'm sure Wanda will appreciate the tip. Yeah, with High Valyrian, however, High Valyrian does have a writing system, and it features several times in the books. Oh. It, not necessarily in like really over the top ways, but in memorable ways. Um, and so uh, Arya mentions seeing Valyrian glyphs on the, on the side of a boat. Um, then for me, the biggest one and most exciting, uh, one actually occurred in, uh, Dance of Dragons. In A Dance of Dragons, there is a scene with a red priest, um, and Tyrion witnesses this. Um, mm -hmm. he's walking, he's walking up and this red priest is kind of like, has this crowd spellbound and is talking about, um, you know, what's going to happen. And um, among the kind of parlor tricks he's doing is he is uh, carving out uh, Valyrian glyphs in fire in the sky. And, and uh, you know, Valyrian, ha I'm sorry, Tyrion, having studied Valyrian, you know, from a maester, recognizes some of them. And furthermore, uh, George R. R. Martin goes so far as to say he recognized the glyph for darkness doom and fire and so what that means it, it basically described the script in as much detail as i needed um that is uh clearly the script was going to have uh some major logographic component and probably be the the, the primary uh mode or at least one of the modes of it uh, so it wasn't going to be mm. just a script like, you know, like, you know, Arabic or Roman or Greek or anything like that. It was going to be something um, 
structurally that would be similar instead to, you know, uh, Chinese cuneiform Mayan Egyptian. Right. Um, and so that was extremely exciting to me. First of all, like I knew that there should be a script canonically as opposed to Dothraki where there shouldn't be a script canonically. Um, and so that was really exciting. Uh, and furthermore, it was going to be a logography, um, which meant it was going to be a far more complex undertaking uh, than any script that had been seen thus far in like television or film or anything like that. So just describe that for our listeners. What would be the difference between that and let's say what English does? Right. With letters? So English has, you know, 26 letters. Or the Roman alphabet has a lot more letters than that. And if you look at the languages of Europe, you can see a bunch of other letters that enjoy use, like a U with two dots in German. Mm -hmm. uh, and essentially in alphabet, um, the expectation is that each glyph is going to stand for a single sound, whether that's a consonant or a vowel, it doesn't matter. And all of the glyphs are going to have roughly the same proportion to one another. So it's not as if the consonantal glyphs are going to be big and the vowel letters are going to be small. They're mm -hmm. all going to have equal status. So. <laughs> this is from Shell. Uh, Dear Anthony, would you please ask David Peterson to translate the following phrase? I would like to tattoo these words in high Valerian on my shoulder. Dragon daughter. Dragon daughter. Dragon daughter. All right. So I've sent you the the PDF now. Are you looking at it? I'm I am looking at it. And if anyone wants to see this, uh, just email book at baldmove.com and I will send you this PDF. Uh, you can get a look at. It. It's actually kind of a beautiful script. Yeah. And so there were two issues with this translation, and so <laughs> I'll talk about. It. First of all, is what dragon daughter means. It has two possible meanings in english yeah it could mean um, you're, you're the daughter of dragons right right daughter of a dragon <laughs> or you're like you know somebody who's like a daughter and a dragon uh -huh. at the same time uh -huh. and those correspond to two different translations in high valyrian oh interesting um and i had no idea which was meant and so just for pronunciation's sake um the one that's dragon's daughter in other words you're honoring your parent yeah. who is a dragon uh -huh. that's what you want to say that would be zaldrizo tala zaldrizo is dragon uh -huh. in the possessive and tala is daughter okay and so that's a dragon's daughter if you say that you are both a dragon and a daughter at the same time uh -huh. It means that essentially both of the words are identical. They should both be in the nominative case. Uh, and so that is Zaldrizes Tala. Yes, very good. Zaldrizes Tala. Okay, so now below that, the uh, let me explain what you're seeing. Because each one of them has four different spellings in High Valyrian. Um, something that I learned about when I was studying Egyptian hieroglyphs that I found very provocative and very cool is that uh, there are actually no standard spellings for anything in Egyptian hieroglyphs. And in fact, there's a lot of redundancy built into the system specifically because there's no uh, standard way of writing anything. Yeah. So a lot of these scribes wrote things to like make double sure 
that everybody knew what words they were talking about, which I think is really cool. I think it would actually be lovely if, uh, and I have, it was a tongue in cheek proposal, but still, I think it would actually be better uh, for rewriting English spelling system. Mm -hmm. I think we should just do it totally phonetically and then <laughs> de-standardize spelling <laughs> so that. Well, we're, I think we're almost on our way with that with uh, informal texting and emojis because in in a sense the the language is being deconstructed but then you're also getting a lot of more information about like is this person saying this sarcastically are they winking at me or you know all, all this kind of stuff that we've we really wouldn't get with shakespeare right we we don't really know uh, a lot of the, right. the the emotionality but we are getting more emojis in our sort of day-to-day -day speak so yeah, it is it is nice to have that sort of extra flourish to let us know exactly what the person means. Yeah, actually, in in fact, uh, it, the way that emoji are commonly used in texting now is a great, I think, introduction to a lot of the like intricate functions of hieroglyphs, because yeah. essentially that's what they're doing. They're they're just throwing extra information, extra redundant information at you to make sure that you know what 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 what's meant, and that's all it's yeah. for. But yeah, the thing I loved about the the destandardized spelling is that anybody could spell it whatever way they wanted to, and not only that, spelling can be a matter of art. Um, uh, like, uh, and so that's kind of what you see here. And really, the changes here are with daughter. Dragon is pretty standard. So the mm -hmm. the so like zaldrizo tala the zaldrizo is just dragon with the glyph that essentially uh, indicates the genitive. It also means to hold. Um, and so that's the same, but daughter can be spelled, uh, the first glyph is identical as the word for girl. So it's the same word, uh, tala can mean, that glyph can mean tala or it can mean rinya, which is girl. Uh, mm. similarly, uh, there's a glyph tauba and it can mean boy, or it can mean, um, tresi, which is son. Um, and so they're interchangeable. Uh, and so the top one is mm. the simplest, just using the glyph that means either daughter or girl, even though they're two different words. And then mm. the bottom three are ways that you can say specifically, this is daughter, not girl. Um, the first oh, one use at, throws in the consonantal glyph for L afterwards, because um, from the L in Tala. And so it's like girl, L. And then the final glyph is the glyph for woman, which is what you need to indicate the termination. Um, I should have asked this before. I, yeah. For some reason, I've been reading right to left. It is left to right. It is left to right. All right. I, I, mind immediately went Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. All right. I'm starting to see. Yeah. <laughs> starting to see what you're saying because my, my brain was going backwards here. No, no. Yes. I totally see the glyph for dragon is... The same throughout. Yep. And then in some in some of these translations, daughter is indicated by one glyph or two yeah. glyphs or three glyphs. Yeah. So the 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 second one, that's the one where it's like the glyph for daughter, the glyph for the consonant L, and then the word for woman, yeah. the termination. The one below that is a little irregular. It's the glyph for daughter followed by the glyph for uh, baby or infant. So it's just an oh. indication that th this is the one that of means age. daughter. 
yeah. but in fact, the word for infant is Rus, and so it's a different termination. So that's why this one's a bit irregular. And the way to um, make that even clearer is to the one below. That is the, the glyph for daughter, the glyph for infant, and then the glyph for woman giving you the appropriate termination. It's just a little longer. So um, mm-hmm. anyway, that's so that's how those are the four options for Zaldrizo Tala. And then the same thing is with Zaldrizes Tala, except that Zaldrizes no longer has the genitive um glyph on it which looks like a backwards p the glyph for holding yeah 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 i love it and, yeah. it, and it looks nice i mean uh let's see here i'm not sure who asked this question it was shell i think yeah um yeah shell you're gonna love this font i i mean i think now that i'm looking at this i'm thinking oh this is a great idea for a tattoo I, and i had n- no idea that there was actually um specific script for this i'm so glad i've learned about it oh i i dropped the key point yeah so there were several times where high valyrian could have or was written in game of thrones and each time i was like you know we can create a writing system for this and they were like ah yeah 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 whatever and they just wrote with the roman uh-huh. script it, it was kind of a bummer um like think about Talissa's letter, the um the mm-hmm. uh graffiti that was in uh, slaver's bay and also that was the one time it took me out of it. The Terrible. death to the masters gra- graffiti. Terrible. Written in English? Like, it wasn't even written in High Valyrian. Like, I, I mean, you could have done that. You could have used a subtitle. Yep. You could have used someone that knows that language. This doesn't make any sense in world. Yep. But it's probably 99% of the people that weren't taken out by it. Probably. And then, like, there's another part where they were, like, they were walking by a row of people crucified and had their crimes written in mm-hmm. Valerian. Another place could have been written. Anyway. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so that was that. But then uh, for uh, House of the Dragon, uh, they said they wanted a script. And so I was like, my goodness, here we are, like, 10 years later and I get to finally do this. And so that's why. And so the script right. is used all over the place in House of the Dragon. Um, but I'm super grateful to Ryan Condal, the showrunner, because um, he gave me the opportunity to do it. So that's why it exists. Fantastic. Okay. And and I'll just I'll just say reiterate, it's beautiful it's beautiful. Um all right, this is from Richie. Um I always love it when David is on the podcast. Thank you in advance for your help. Will you help me with the uh, the translation warrior poet? I'm not sure if I want this in Valerian or Dothraki or some other A Song of Ice and Fire language. Perhaps you can suggest the right language for me. Of course, I'm interested in the aesthetics of the language as well as just getting the grammar right. Yeah. So in this case, this is one where it's like, it's pretty clear what it means, right? So it's not the same thing with Dragon Daughter. It's mm-hmm. like it doesn't mean the warrior's poet. It means somebody who's a warrior and a poet. So, sure. so that would that would at least was a little easier. Uh, in Dothraki, that was easy. Uh, so uh, we have Zogik uh, Lajak, Zogik Lajak, and Lajak is warrior. That's easy. That one is uh, yeah. That one's used a lot. Zogik uh, is a, a one I created that I don't think ever got used in the show, but it comes from a word that means to chant. And so um, uh, is actually kind of like, it's got a ton of different definitions, but it's like, Mm -hmm. like the chant leader and also somebody who like, yeah. Cause I think when I emailed you about this, you initially said, I'm not sure if, if if I've invented a word for poet. That was for Valerian. Um, 
but oh, okay oh, so okay this one i had and i forgot about this word this is it's a good word but yeah thogek is definitely what you would use for yeah that's the poet. right that's the right one right yeah so, so that's and easy then, that's dothraki and then you've got a second option here yeah this is valerian and this is the one where it took me a long time to figure out how poetry would be done in valerian um and uh, in fact, it features a brand new glyph that I created yesterday uh, when, I, when I thought of, when I finally came up with an idea for this one. Uh, so uh, Helibio is essentially... Getting some special treatment, Richie. Yeah, Helibio is essentially a warrior uh, or okay. fighter or something like that. And that's the first one. And it's got... Uh, so with both of these words, there are a number of things you could do for the last glyph. Uh, it's, it's termination. But these are the most likely. And so that's why I did this one. Um, so Helibio is the one with, uh, it's got the glyph uh, for combat. And then a B uh -huh. because um, uh, it the B is, it's the E uh, suffix, which kind of like extends the previous one. So um, so Helagon is to hit or to strike. Helibagon is to fight. Um, to kind of it's to do it over an extended period of time. So he leave you is somebody who fights a fighter, a warrior. <clears throat> and then for the other one, so he had this verb, uh, runagon, which meant to remember. And it's used for a number of different things, including words for um, uh, reverie, nostalgia, and also for letter or a note. Um, and uh, that, I think, I created four to list this letter, runyapos, the word for letter. I was going through, um, and I was working with Jesse, trying to come up with all of these potential etymologies for poem or poetry or poet. Uh, I was looking stuff up. Um, a lot of words for, for poet are derived. Uh, it appears that the Chinese word for poetry or poem is basic. But, like, um, they're kind of like three main traditions for this word um uh with a kind of like some small other ones here and there but like arabic it comes from knowing uh the the verb that means to know and a lot of languages <laughs> have borrowed that word um a lot have borrowed the word mm. you know poetry or poet or poem which ultimately comes from the greek and is a derivation from somebody who creates something somebody who makes something Mm. Um, then there's, um, Kavi, which comes from Sanskrit and is a kind of a, it comes from yeah. the word for a wise person. Um, English, old English apparently had one that was replaced by poetry that came from a word that means, uh, to mock or to deceive, which is pretty interesting. Um, and then like uh, there's My a goodness. Slavic one that comes ultimately from the Proto-Indo-European root for to speak. It also makes sense. Anyway, so I was trying a lot of things out, thinking about a lot of things, thinking about maybe doing its own route. I, I didn't know. I, I didn't feel great about that. And then the last thing as we were sitting here, because we spent like a, an hour on this, Jesse thought, what about memory since that, since often, you know, poetry, especially oral poetry was done to remember things from the past. And I was like, oh, I've, I've got that word. That's a brilliant idea. Yeah, Is there enough right, room left in high Valyrian derivation to get something like this? And so then what I did was um, 
I built it the same way I did a lot of other uh, professions, which is Valerian has uh, kind of three basic tenses. There's the imperfect, uh, meaning that it's ongoing, the perfect, meaning that it's done. And then there's the aorist, which is atemporal, which is used for habitual action. So it's like I eat every day or uh, generic descriptions like birds tweet, dogs bark. Yeah. And I was like, aha, if we can use a participle that's built off of that form, this is, uh, it can be used to describe somebody who basically their job is to remember. And so that is Runiros, somebody who remembers the poet. And the yeah. glyph that we came up with for it, it was one I came up with, and I love the glyph so much, I was like, we've got to do this. I just don't know how to make it work. Um, the word or the glyph for art in Valyrian is a square that has been uh, bisected from the top and side. And so it's essentially, you know, looks like, you know, the Windows logo, right? It's just a square with four squares inside of it. And it's the glyph for art because it's supposed to show symmetry mm. and arrangement as a representation mm -hmm. of art. Now, the glyph for heart in High Valyrian is a diamond that has four lines going up and out of it. And essentially, they represent the, the, you know, the chambers going into the heart. It's a, it's a depiction of a heart. Mm. And so the glyph for memory oh, I like was that. essentially using that glyph for arrangement for art and putting it inside of the diamond. So it's like the art but it's 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 taken from a square and rotated to look like a diamond. It's the actual glyph for heart, and then inside it is the arrangement pattern that gives you essentially the artistry of arrangement yeah. in your heart is basically what memory is. And so that is what gave us the uh, glyph that ultimately gave us the word for poetry. I mean, it's... I think I'm looking at the right glyph. It's the first character of the second word here. That's right. Okay. Yeah, it's maybe the most elaborate character I've seen so far. There are um, plenty that are more elaborate, but okay. uh, because there's right. like 460 characters in the system at the moment. Yeah. But but yeah, uh, I thought of that and I created it and I was like, damn, that looks good. Yeah, it um, looks fantastic. Got to use it. And it, it'll be a beautiful tattoo for sure. By the way, the rest of the spelling of that glyph is just uh, morphological stuff. The next uh, glyph that looks like an upside down Y is um, used for the aorist tense, uh, the ongoing tense. Okay. To me, uh, that looks like a lambda. Yeah. It, uh -huh. It's originally a depiction of a person walking. Um, the next one is that looks like a V with another V, uh, like superimposed over it. It's mm -hmm. like, or like a VA, like on top of each other. That's the glyph for cyclicity, um, and uh, it's used for most of the participles. The participles. I'm sorry, I'm not are... familiar with that. What's the, you said? Cyclicity. Sorry, cyclicity. 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 Oh, so of pertaining to cycles. Yes. Okay. Got yeah. it. And that's uh, for most of the participles in an R, and so you usually see that glyph for for that, and uh -huh. it's an adjectival ending. And then the final one is uh, the glyph for chest of a person. 
Um, and that's for the OS ending. Uh, and that's usually the one that you use for the OS ending when you're talking about a person. Uh -huh. There are plenty of other glyphs that have the OS ending, but it's just that's that's really the one you use when you meet a person. So that's why you have that for Runi Ros. I love it. I yeah. love it. And that one's sort of an upside down delta. Yes, with a line in the middle. Yeah. Okay, now this was from Steve. He said he would like oppression reigns, we sleep in Dothraki. And I think that this is an homage to the movie uh, They Live. I don't know if you're Which, a They Live fan. Never heard of it. Okay, right. It's, it's a 80s horror movie. Uh, so oppression oh. reigns, we sleep in Dothraki. Yeah, this one was uh, a little tough because um, I get the impression of rains. It just doesn't, it's not something that jives well with Dothraki culture. Uh, and there actually is no equivalent word. Um, but but really, uh, you know, I was like, I was trying to go too complex. I was like, no, what makes sense, obviously. It's what this means is that oppression is, you know, ruling the day or is it like yes. it's, it's prevalent. Yes. And of course, they would just use ride for that. So that's that's what it is. Oh, so, so it's true. oppression rides. Yes, <laughs> but like we sleep. So it's uh, let's see. Athasilar dothrei kisha remekaki. So dothrei is is clearly a derivative from the the, the word writer, right? Yep. So yeah, Dothrak the Dothraki are the writers. Dothralat is to ride. Dothrei means rides, and so. So athasilar dothrei rides. Kisha just we, uh, and then remekaki is we sleep. Um, <laughs> there you go. Very very good, very good. All right. So from Pablo the turtle. A. Will you ask me? Would you ask David P. to translate the word snow for me? I remember him saying once, maybe even on your podcast that he developed a north-of-the-wall language specific to giants. I imagine that giants have several words for snow, but I was thinking specifically about John Snow, so maybe the most general common word for snow. Okay, so there are uh, a few things that need to be responded to in this email. Okay. And so <laughs> let me... <laughs> Let me uh, let me uh, address them one one by one. First of all, there is a very popular myth that uh, first of all, there's such a thing as an Eskimo language. There's not. There's a bunch of different um, Eskimo uh -huh. languages, uh -huh. and that this language has a whole bunch of words for snow. Yeah, and... I've, heard, I've heard anything from seventeen to two hundred and forty, whatever you know. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and furthermore, that this is uh, somehow important. So um, this is, uh, it's like the, the latter is definitely false. The former is also debatably false. Uh, like one of the uh, languages of Northern Canada that I'm familiar with that I've studied a lot is uh, there's this group um, called, uh, the, one of them is Cicletoon, one of them is Umarmiut. Um, and I spent a lot of time looking at them because I found these incredible grammars and dictionaries that were written of them. Huh. Um and I think I know where this rumor may have started because um, they're really unique languages in that they're polysynthetic, uh, which means that often what we would have as a sentence is just a single word. Um, um, and in fact, often what happens is you start with one or two nouns and then with one of them, you just build it up uh, and that becomes your sentence, uh, usually the topic. 
Um, and so, so you can cram a lot of meaning into one word, basically. Yeah. And in fact, if you look at these dictionaries, the dictionary has two sections. One is a very small section that's kind of like a thematic dictionary. Mm. Like here's some animal words, here's some place words. Really not many words in there. Then the bulk of the dictionary is like, these are the suffixes and how they're used and what they mean. Like what words they're used with and how they change the meaning of a word. And there are so many. Hmm. <laughs> there are so many. Uh, and they do things like take a word and now the new word means a fake or toy version of it. Mm. Uh, take a word and now it means to do this regularly. And now it means, and here's another one and it means to do it with another person. And this one means you know to not do it so well. And you just build and build and build until you get the sentence that you want. Um, so like, as I found it, there was only like, I don't know, one or two words for snow maybe. But the thing is, like, you can just take the word for snow and add the suffixes on it to get a whole bunch of different, you know, uh, fine gradations yeah. of it. So it's like essentially sn produces snowita, snowito, things yeah, like that. <laughs> right. And essentially produces as many different words as you yeah. want with very specific meanings, if you'd like. Um, so I think that's where that came from. And second, it just ah, seemed attractive. So that's the myth. Like, so the myth yeah. is not necessarily, I mean, I mean, I guess if you add up all the suffixes, then there would be, I mean, probably in the teens is what I'm guessing, uh, depending well, on what sure. you want to do with it. Right. But the, but the root is a single root basically. There may be two. Um, okay. I don't remember, but like. Uh, but first of all, the, the, there is an idea, an implicit idea here. It's like, uh, you know, these people spend more time in snow than we do. They spend more time talking about snow because of that, which is an assumption. <laughs> right. uh, they have like more sophisticated understandings of snow than we do. Again, another assumption. And mm -hmm. second, they must have, because of all of this, a much richer vocabulary for snow than we do, which is, again, another assumption. Um because that doesn't none of that stuff necessarily squares and so yeah but like also i want to take us back to english and think for a moment uh first of all there are like you know because like you know the one of the ways this comes up with this was with dothraki and horse uh -huh. english has over 50 words for horse anybody who doubts this just think about as many sports teams as you can <laughs> that have a name that means horse, mm -hmm. that isn't horse. In mm -hmm. fact, I bet you can't think of a single team that has the name the horses. <laughs> None of them do. <laughs> However, Mustang, I bet you can stallions, think of Mustang Stallions, Broncos, Colts. Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. Tons, yeah. tons, all right? English is besotted with words for horse, all right? And so because of this, do you then think that we English speakers are a horseish people who spend a lot of time thinking about horses and talking about horses? Yeah, All of us with at special point, knowledge of horses. At one point, we were pretty horsey. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but here's, here's another one. I want you to think about this. We have a lot of different words for car as well. Mm -hmm. And in fact, for those of us that live in Southern California, we are a car culture. Mm-hmm. However, while you think about how often you use all these words, for right. example, like it, let's just say you're with a, a group of friends or whatever, um, and you're chatting, you're going to go to someplace and some guy says, all right, we, we can take my new car. 
and you go mm-hmm. out there and you see a truck and it's like, are you just floored? You're like, how? This doesn't make any sense. You use the complete wrong word. Mm-hmm. I don't accept this. Uh, it's like, you can just say car to mean your, your means of conveyance. And honestly, mm-hmm. we do it more often than not. We don't often find ourselves saying, you know, like, uh, you know, oh, why don't we go down to my SUV? We can mm-hmm. take it to the store. It, it's like, it just doesn't matter. We just use car mm-hmm. uh, a whole lot, despite the fact that we have a very rich vocabulary for cars and honestly spend a lot of time in America talking about and using and thinking about cars. So I'm, ima- so. I'm imagining that this preamble is uh, to tell us that the, the Giants probably have one word for snow and not multiple. Now, here is the second preamble. Okay. All right. There are indeed Giants in the universe. Roman and numeral I was two. Indeed, point I was indeed asked to create a giant language. Right. right? Yeah. And... Uh, so I was like, I emailed George R. R. Martin and I said, Hey, I am, uh, supposed to create this giant language. Uh And, um, I, uh, was told that, um, you know, in your books, I'm sorry, in your books, it says that the giants speak, you know, some variant of the old tongue. Uh, George R. R. Martin's exact response to me was the giants do speak the old tongue after a fashion. Truth be told, they are not very smart. Um, And so the whole point of it. And then when you start to see what their names are, Mm -hmm. you know, one dar one mag one and so on. I think I got the idea for what it was. So like there are some words in the giant language. Um, And but like honestly the word for snow you know what it probably is it's probably uh cold white cold cold <laughs> and like and it's it, it's probably going to change every so often it, it's hard for me to decide which ones should actually have words for them because otherwise that's just like his whole point was that they essentially it's like they're smarter than animals, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but probably not smart enough to actually be able to use any type of language. And so I created something for him. But like, honestly, I think that what I created may have even been too sophisticated where I gave them, you know, words for one, two and more than two. That may be too sophisticated <laughs> because like based on the the names, like, like there there's like magdar or something like uh when you saw his name uh his name actually translates to something like you know big leg big arm many big <laughs> or something like that conveying so, the like, sense that this guy is pretty big <laughs> yeah and, and so essentially like for things like that that's like no they're absolutely mm. not going to have a lot of words for anything they're going to have some um, and it's it's difficult for me to decide which ones that they're going to have words for. Um, they don't have a word for snow at the moment, but it doesn't. I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Now, uh, I also don't think the Dothraki term makes a lot of sense. I wrote it down there anyway. Ahesh is snow. Okay. Um, but uh, so there is no giant uh, word for snow. Nope. Okay. All right. And, but John Snow is Targaryen. And so I figured, well, why not just do the High Valyrian word mm-hmm. for snow, which is sona. 
Now that one, the font of that, or the script of that is a beautiful symmetric shape that I think would look very good as, as a tattoo. It's a, it's it's a like single a, logogram. Yeah, it's kind of like a big capital I with the, the dots on either side representing the snow falling. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought that would make sense. Um, yeah, I think that other, that looks fantastic. Simple. Thank you. So Pablo, uh, no no giant word for snow, but we do have a couple of other options for you. I think that there might have been. Um, this is Daniel. This is from Daniel Loves Donuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, question for Doctor Peterson: I was thinking about getting a bear tattoo with the giant language for bear. If there is a word for white bear or polar bear, that would be icing on the cake. Thanks. So there did happen to be a word for bear. Okay. There you go. (laughs) There there happened to be a word for bear. Spelled K-R-O-F. Yeah. Very good. Very good. There there wasn't a word for white. Um, But yeah. It, but honestly, if they were going to go to the extent they're talking about distinguishing like a polar bear from another bear, probably wouldn't. But if they were, it would probably be something like, you know, uh, white bear, white claw bear. I don't know. <laughs> okay, I think this might be our last one. Um, it's from Sam. How would you write out swift arrow in Dothraki? That one was an easy one. Those are two old words that I remember creating way back. Uh, Lokham is arrow, so it's Lokham Dik. Uh, Lokham is arrow. Uh, Dik is fast or swift. Mm, Very good. Very good. So there you go. And again, like if you're looking for ideas for the Roman font, I recommend Trajan Pro. I think it looks really great for Dothraki. Okay. And that is all of our email. And it sounds like for some of these you had to you had to go to work this was this was absolute work for you i, I hope it's work that will pay off in the future um for you in some, I mean, in some way <laughs> well that's the thing it's like you never you you totally never know like that's why it's nice to just create the stuff like you know when i i remember creating the word for chant and creating that word for you know chant leader and poet from it i never mm-hmm. used that in the show but I was like, I was really proud of it. I thought it was really cool. And then here we are today, here and it's are. like, oh, hey, there's that word again. And it's going to be was on such a nice feeling remembering that. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Fan.